0: Well, it's a joy to be with you today, and it is a genuine gospel partnership, and it's good to be in the city at this time, to be able to witness these different communities where the Lord's placed us. It's going to help you today to get your Bible open in front of you, we're going to look at the last book of the Bible, Revelation, and chapter 1. And uh, the reason I'm this passage is because we're coming into Easter time, and it's good to be reminded always that our Lord is not dead, he has risen. He's risen in power. He has all authority and although in the world around us it would say that he has diminished authority that we are a post-christian country that there is much in our faith that has been superseded I was reading online this morning how the bible was written today it had been written with far greater wisdom on various issues completely nonsense uh, that actually it's not true but we need these reminders and we need to encourage one another and build one another up And so this passage is absolute rocket fuel for our souls. So we're just going to read this description of the risen Lord Jesus. And you can fall asleep afterwards if you so wish. Because it doesn't get any better than this. Let me tell you. Because this is the word of the Lord. Let's have a look together. By John... Revelation chapter 1 verse 9. I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom and patient endurance that are in Jesus was on the island called Patmos on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet saying, Write what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus and to Smyrna and to Pergamon and to Thyatira and to Sardis and to Philadelphia and to Laodicea. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me and on turning I saw seven golden lampstands and in the midst of the lampstands one like a son of man. Clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash round his chest. The hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze refined in a furnace. And his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand he held seven stars and from his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword and his face was like the sun shining in full strength when I saw him I fell at his feet as though dead but he laid his right hand on me saying fear not I am the first and the last and the living one I died and behold I am alive forevermore and I have the keys of death and Hades. Write therefore the things that you have seen, those that are and those that are yet to take place after this as for the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand, and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. And this is the word of the Lord. I wonder if you've ever met one of your own heroes. Sometimes you get those opportunities, don't you? To meet someone that you've uh, admired from afar and then you get that kind of close encounter and you get to chat with them or meet them or shake their hand or get a selfie with them. Uh, My mum used to be a school teacher many years ago back in the 1990s and she used to work in a special school And one of the sad things, especially in those days, less so now, but it's still true, is that a lot of people with severe special needs have significant health problems as well. So it wasn't uncommon for children in the school to die. And uh, in my mum's class, there was a little boy called Tom who she was very fond of, and his health deteriorated rapidly. And it became clear that Tom, who was about 12, I think, was going to die. And the chair of governors in the school went to Tom, I don't know how aware he was of how poorly he was, and just said, Tom, the school would like to get you a treat. What is the one thing you would like to happen? What what, what would you love to happen? If you could have one thing, what would it be? That's a a big thing to say to any child, isn't it? Uh, And he pitched high. He said, oh, the one thing I want to do is to meet Michael Owen. Now, back in 1998, Michael Owen was Liverpool's bright hope, but also England's big hope for winning the World Cup. Uh, Spoiler alert, we didn't manage it. But that was the hope in 1998. So the chair of governors wrote to Liverpool Football Club and just said, here's the situation, here's this boy Tom, and all he wants is to meet Michael Owen. And Liverpool wrote back and just said, with regrets, it's a World Cup year. And Michael has no time this side of the World Cup to meet with anyone in the way that he usually would. So the chair of governors went back and said to the boy, we're really sorry we've Well, here's the, the letter. I'm not sure the letter meant that much to him. And he said, he's too busy. He can't see you because of the World Cup. Is there anything else you would like? Well, the boy couldn't think of anything. He said, no, all, all I want to do is meet Michael Owen. So this time, the chair of governors rang Liverpool Football Club and said, this is the situation we've asked, for. there's nothing else he wants. And Liverpool, to their credit, said, we're playing Tottenham in a few weeks' time. If you can get into a hospital near White Hart Lane, we will enable him to meet Michael Owen. So an off-duty nurse took Tom across London in an ambulance and they put him in a separate hospital room And he waited. And then there was a knock on the door and in walked Gerald Houliere, the manager, straight through the door. And then one after one after one, the entire Liverpool squad filed round this boy's bed and at the back was Michael Owen. And Tom died having met his hero. It was a wonderful moment for that young man. But what you're reading here today, is he isn't a million miles away from that. There was an older man, probably in his 80s or 90s, on a prison island, close to death. And before he died, for one more time, he met his hero. The King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the Lord Jesus Christ. And today it's a very, very simple thing we're going to do. We're going to find out about... Uh, This encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ, it wasn't just a personal thing for him, you see. He was told to write it down for the seven churches. You probably saw today, there's a repeated seven and seven this, seven lampstands and seven angels and seven churches. Because in Revelation, seven is the number of completeness. Like in creation, where God creates the world and on the seventh day he rests, there's completeness about the seven. It's not that they were the only churches in the first century, not that they were the most important either. But they stand for all the churches and all of God's people in every age and every time. So this is a letter not just for John and an encounter not just for John, but an encounter for us here this morning in Downend School, ready for us to meet with this risen Lord Jesus and to love him with all of our heart. And so what do we see here? Three really simple things. Here, first of all, is a a real man in a real place, experiencing real suffering. We see that as he introduces himself, I, John. You see, what he's underlining here is he's 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 an ordinary man. The events of Revelation, this book, often intimidates us and scares us because we don't fully understand what we're reading. But we need to begin with the fact that this was one ordinary real person, a real man who's writing down what he saw and what he heard if you see that here it says i john and then he says that he was in the spirit on the lord's day and i heard behind me a voice and he turned around to see what was going on he was a a, a person like you or me and he was real these are things that he really saw and he heard a bit like being in an imax cinema and it's all around him, and it's got, it's got incredible sound, and, and it's visual. And he wants us to experience and understand what he saw and what he heard. He was a real person. And he was in a real place. I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation of the kingdom and patient endurance that are in Jesus Christ was on the island called Patmos. Now, Patmos is a Greek island, we might think, especially on a cold day like today, wouldn't it be nice to be on a Greek island on a nice warm sunny beach enjoying ourselves? But this island, you may or may not know, was, was no holiday resort. It wasn't a retirement village for pastors where John in his older years could just chill and enjoy some relaxation before going home to see Jesus. This was a prison island. When we think about John being, those of you are old enough, should think about Nelson Mandela. Do you remember all the years he spent on Robben Island? It's that sort of thing. Or if you're younger and less sanctified, if you've seen The Rock, then think of Alcatraz. You know, that is where this guy was spending the last years of his life on earth, on a prison island, away from God's people, with no prospect of release. This was where he was going to see out his days. A real man in a real place, experiencing real suffering because of what? What he says is now, is there on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. John had lived out his life testifying to the goodness of God and how Jesus Christ completed the Old Testament prophecies, every single one. And as a result of his faithfulness, he spent the last years of his life on a prison island. But how does he introduce himself to these folks? I, John, am what? Your brother. Just think for a moment how you might have introduced yourself if you were John. All right, let's have a think. The Apostle John probably followed the Lord Jesus from when he was a teenager. So he could have gone all the way back to that moment. I, John, followed Jesus from the time I was a teenager. I witnessed all of the miracles there you see in the gospels am i still coming through or you just turn me down a little bit because i'm noisy that's fine i can deal with that uh, there we go. so we, he might run through from his earliest days when he the things that he had seen recap some of the things in his gospels the things that we read about i was there when jesus calmed the storm i was there when he walked on the water i was there when he raised lazarus from the dead We might have run through those things i see what i might have underlined i was there when he died upon the cross the others fled peter ran andrew ran but i was there and he spoke to me from the cross and he entrusted his mother to me might you have mentioned some of these things I was there when he ascended into heaven. I was there when the Holy Spirit came down at Pentecost. I was there as the church went from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the ends of the earth. I was there. I pastored the church in Ephesus. Mentioned here for many years. Till I could no longer walk. And had to be carried on a mat into the church. Where I preached my five word sermon every week. Beloved. For loved ones love one another. John's regular sermon to his church. Might you have underlined some of these things? I'm the last man standing. All the other apostles are in glory. But I'm here. No. What does he say? I, John, your brother. Your brother. Because before we are anything else, brothers and sisters gathered here this morning, we are family. With one father in heaven, one older brother in the Lord Jesus Christ and one spirit who unites us to one another and to him. Your brother. And partner in the tribulation, we suffer together and the kingdom because there's one king and it isn't John it's Jesus Christ and the patient endurance is the quality of those who belong to him John walked with Jesus when he was a teenager now in his 80s or 90s he's still walking with Jesus and he's patiently endured terrible suffering for the sake of the kingdom so you have a real man in a real place Experiencing real suffering. And what does he find? He's there on the Lord's day, and something wonderful happens to him because he is worshipping the risen Jesus in all of his glory and experiencing, strangely, overwhelming fear. And we might not expect that, we might think he would be delighted to see Jesus Christ, his friend. But there is something about this encounter that just overwhelms and takes everything away from John. It's as if he's slain by God himself. Let's have a look at this together. We see in verse 10 it says, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet saying, write what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches. Do you see what's happening here? Here. He was in the spirit on the Lord's day. He wasn't waiting for his circumstances to improve to worship Jesus Christ. Here he was in a prison island with no prospect of escape. But it's the Lord's day. And we don't know if there was anyone else to gather with or if he was alone. But he took time to worship Jesus in the power of the Holy Spirit. And then something very unexpected happened. It said, I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet. This was an unusual thing, even for John. There was a loud voice behind him like a trumpet. And being a good Jew, he'd have known what that voice was. Because the voice of God sounded like a trumpet when he spoke from Mount Sinai. And John knew he was in the presence of God and God himself was speaking. So he turns to see what is going on behind him. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me and on turning I saw seven golden lampstands. So the first thing he sees is not the one who speaks but the situation they are in. No longer the prison island around him, he sees something amazing. There are seven great golden lampstands and verse 20 tells us what they are. It says, as for the mystery of the seven stars you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars, the angels, of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. So he sees in the heavenly realms the churches, all of God's people, represented as these lampstands. And it's a wonderful image of your church and mine too. Were there to be light in this dark world? I was thinking about this again last week. Reminded me of a song we used to sing in Sunday school when I was a child. Unless you're very old and went to church as a child, you won't know it. Let me quote it to you. Jesus bids us shine with a pure, clear light, like a little candle burning in the night. In this world of darkness, he bids us shine, you in your small corner and I in mine. And this is the heavenly reality of all of those lamps burning around this world even today, bringing light to the darkest of places, light to the darkest communities right the way around this globe, even to this day, is that the Lord Jesus walks among his people. He will never forsake us. He will never abandon us. He will never tire of us. He loves us and he walks among his people so that's what john sees and then he says in the midst of the lampstands he then sees the one who spoke and it is one like a son of man those of you know your Bibles well will know that more than 80 times in the gospels that's the phrase jesus used to describe himself the son of man here is one like a son of man and it's not just an emphasis that jesus is a glorified human being although he is and that is a wonderful thing it is also a reference back to the book of daniel where Jesus there is seen and it's an amazing thing and we'll just read this vision together now because many many years before this uh, more than 500 years before Jesus walked on the earth Daniel saw this says in the 24th day of the first month as I was standing on the bank of the great river the Tigris I looked up and there before me was a man dressed in linen with a belt of gold from Uphaz round his waist his body was like topaz, his face like lightning, his eyes like flaming torches, his arms and legs like the gleam of burnished bronze and his voice like the sound of a multitude. I, Daniel, was the only one who saw the vision. Those who were with me did not see it, but such terror overwhelmed them. They fled and hid themselves. So I was left alone, gazing at this great vision. I had no strength left. My face turned deathly pale and I was helpless. Does that sound familiar to you? It should do. Because it's an echo, isn't it, of Revelation 1. In fact, Revelation 1 is an echo of that. What Daniel saw, John is now seeing again. And what does it mean? And how can it encourage us? He saw one with a long robe and a golden sash around his chest. This is a priestly figure. The great high priest is uh, seen in this, in this place. And the hairs of his head are white, like wool, like snow. Well, mine are going that way, and some of yours have too. Uh, What's the point? Why does he have this white hair, like wool, like snow? Well, because in the Old Testament, to have white hair, pure white hair, was a sign of wisdom. So here's one who is wise. But the next thing's really important. His eyes were like a flame of fire. Quite often as we get older, our eyes get weaker. We get cataracts, don't we, in the ancient world? That was a thing too. And so people, as they age, their hair went white and their eyes went dull, but not this one. He's got all the wisdom. His hair is white like wool. The whites emphasize again, it's like snow. He's wise through and through, but his vitality has never been lost. He is as vibrant as any young man ever was and he sees it all. And then it says his feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace. He's got armoured feet. He's got strength. He is a warrior. He's equipped for whatever needs to be done. And his voice was like uh, the roar of many waters. There's power in his voice like uh, the waterfalls, like Niagara Falls. And in his right hand it says he held seven stars. People disagree as to what the angels of the churches are. Some people think they might be elders. Personally, that's unlikely. I've met a lot of elders. (laughs) I don't think of myself as an angel. So there we are. Some people think it's that. that These were written to the elders in these churches. I'm not sure that's right. Some people think they're guardian angels. So down in today, there's uh, a guardian angel for you guys. And in Headley Park, there's a different one for me. I'm not sure about that either, Really? I think what we can say is the seven angels represent all the power that Jesus Christ has for good in the heavenly realms to use on behalf of his people. I'm confident in that. It, he doesn't lack power or resource. He has complete power to use from the heavenly realms for the good of his people and the advance of his kingdom. And he holds it in his hand, ready for us all. And then out of his mouth comes something magnificent a sharp two edged sword there we are the word of his god the word of god comes from his mouth it has power it penetrates it changes it's not weak and his word has lost none of its power and authority even here this morning and his face what was that like was shining like the sun in full strength and john you see had seen that last bit before do you remember when he was a young man and Jesus had taken him and Peter and James, I almost forgot which one it was, up the mountain of transfiguration. Do you remember? And Jesus, before their eyes, was transfigured, and his clothes were whiter than white. That's some kind of washing powder commercial, you know, back in the day. There he is, beyond white. And he can't really be looked at, he's transfigured into his glory. So John would remember that from his childhood. And here is, he sees the full version. And what's the effect on him? I fell at his feet as though dead. I fell at his feet as though dead. The person he would have most wanted to meet in all of the world, the person he had known from his childhood moving forward, to see him in all of his glory, leaves John face down. Leaves John with no strength left, leaves him as though dead. Brothers and sisters, the Bible says that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth to the praise and glory of God the Father. And when Jesus comes again, It won't be like a rock festival where they open the doors and we rush to the front. We will be down on our faces in the presence of holiness. And like John, we will feel as if we've just died all over again. Because the God who knows it all, who sees it all, whose mouth has a sword coming from it that penetrates our hearts, should take that sword and slay us. And like John, we need a miracle of resurrection. We need a moment where he grasps hold of us. And that's what happens here. When I saw him, I followed his feet as like dead. But he laid his right hand on me. You might think that right hand would be quite full. He's holding within his right hand all the angels of the seven churches, all spiritual power and authority. You might think when he sees this weak one lying on the floor, that he might nudge him with his foot. That would be the thing to do, give him a, give him a little kick. Or speak to him, get up, John, get up. But he stoops down, right down, to this one that he loves, and he lifts him up. That is our God. A God who stoops down to us in our weakness. A God who stoops down to us in our sin and lifts us up what we remember at Easter time isn't it it's the depths to which Jesus Christ was prepared to go are the height and depth of mercy <laughs> that the God who is as awesome as this would step down clothed in frail humanity would walk for 33 years as one of us and then would pick up a cross beam and stoop stoop carrying on his back the burden of your sin and mine and then be nailed to a cross of wood coming right down into our sin that we might be forgiven that we might be set free that we might be lifted and this jesus then speaks to him and says fear not do not be afraid i am the first and the last and the living one i died and behold i'm alive forevermore and i have the keys of death and hades the words this man needed to hear words that strengthened him to write these final 22 chapters of our scriptures A man whose regular sermon was five words long and could barely walk anymore was given the strength to write down what he saw and record it for you and for me in the face of death. We're Looking here you see at a man who then knew the comfort of God. He knew what it was to have God with him in the face of death renewing his strength ready for his final acts of service. When I was at school, there was only one real Christian. I wasn't. I went to church, but I didn't really know Jesus. I didn't know this Jesus. He hadn't really grabbed hold of my heart, grabbed hold of my life. I didn't know the joy of sins forgiven. I didn't know resurrection power. But there was a boy in the year below me who did, and his name was James, James Berry. And the Lord had done something remarkable in James's life and he didn't care who knew it what do you think happens to the one boy at school who knows Jesus and isn't ashamed to say what Jesus has done for him he gets bullied every single day every day there's no let-up there's no kindness I'm not a Christian this time I'm partly leading the charge We were really nasty to him every single day sometimes about his faith sometimes about his face sometimes about his voice anything we could pick on and every single day he came into school and every single day he lived for Jesus then one day he lucked out because an even more unpopular boy turned up at school he wasn't a Christian but he was posh and that was much worse. His name was Hugh, and he sounded like Prince Charles. And so finally, there was someone even more unpopular than James. And I remember being on a train journey where there were year nines, the year below me school, and year tens. So I'm what, 15? And we got around to our favourite topic of conversation what an idiot Hugh was. And we were all having a go at pulling off his voice. You know, trying to speak posh, trying to sound like Prince Charles. And it was hilarious. Me and my mates. When suddenly, this boy James cut across our conversation and said, Yes, but we need to remember that God made Hugh and there are good things about him. Well, That was it that was intolerable as far as i was concerned and my mates and so we all turned on james and we gave him the hardest time we could we told him what an idiot we thought he was and what a loser he was and what a fool he was for believing in jesus but you know what I went to bed that night and before I fell to sleep in this strange bed in the French Exchanges house I reflected on what had happened that day and I thought it was the bravest thing I had ever seen. There was no way I would ever contradict what most other people thought around me. If someone who was popular said they liked a song. I remember one time claiming I liked Simply Red just because Chris (laughs) Davis had said so. You know, I thought yeah, I love Simply Red. What? (laughs) But yeah. But yeah, even at that level I wouldn't disagree with anyone. I wouldn't stand up for what I thought. I went with the crowd. So as I went to bed that night, I reflected that it was by far the bravest thing I had ever seen. And why would anybody do that, knowing what was coming next? <clears throat> A few years later, I was at Bristol Uni. I'd just been saved. And my mum rang me. said, do you remember that boy James Berry in the year below you at school? I said, yes, I do. She said, he's got cancer. And he's dying. They've done a bone marrow transplant. His brother's donated his bone marrow, but it's not taken. He's in hospital now, planning his own funeral. And he's rejoicing. Do you know what? I don't know in heaven if we'll get to say sorry to people. But I look forward to the day I see James Perry. He has no idea unless the Lord told him what difference he made to me. He was just an ordinary person in a real place and a moment of history who had encountered the risen Lord Jesus and the comfort that he alone can bring and he lived for him and brothers and sisters we may not have the same dramatic encounter in fact you will not have the same dramatic encounter in this way that john did it's unique but you can know this jesus you can know him in his majesty and his glory and in his strengthening power you can know him in his comfort throughout this life and even in the face of death because he is risen and you need not fear And in an amazing way, as you live out your life in the simplicity of what you believe, keeping the cross right at the centre, the Lord will use your witness to transform the lives of others around you so that they're ready for the day when Christ returns as King and they meet him face to face. Don't give up. The patient endurance are ours because of him he keeps his own. he will keep you he will bless you he'll bring you home let me pray father we thank you so much for this word lord how we need this word lord so often we stumble and fall so often our faith fails but we thank you that you never fail you are sufficient and you are magnificent you are glorious in your holiness and there is truly no one like you and yet the wonder of our faith is you stoop down even here this morning you're stooping down to us you're forgiving us our sin you're showing mercy to us here today you're strengthening us what lies ahead and father i want to pray particularly for any who are suffering here this morning for those going through hard times oh father i pray that they would see jesus here today and turn to him draw strength from him and continue their walk we thank you that even at our weakest as we trust in you the glory of jesus is seen and so i pray for this church that it will be light that they will be a family united in the lord jesus christ who love him love him with their heart mind soul and strength are committed to his kingdom and to his ways and father i pray that you would bless them richly with a deep love for you which is our work, in a love for one another and a love for those who don't yet know jesus as we do for we ask these things in jesus name and for his eternal glory amen